Hi, I am Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Welcome to Podcast 32, My Family Grows. When Mary suggested we visit her aging parents in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I jumped at the idea. I needed some vacation time. Plus, we could write the trip off on our taxes if we went to Minnesota for veterinary stuff. So I coordinated the trip to coincide with the annual meeting of the Minnesota Veterinary Association, where I attended various lectures. We drove to San Francisco, arranging to spend the night with Chuck and Barbie before boarding the plane the next morning. We arrived in San Francisco in a festive mood. I got those blues when my baby left me down by the Frisco Bay. Wah, wah, wah. An ocean liner came and took her away. Wah, wah, wah. I didn't mean to treat her so bad. She was the best friend I ever had. She had me had to say goodbye. She made me cry. She made me want to lay down my head and die. Ain't got a nickel and ain't got a lousy dime. No, no, no. If she don't come back, believe me, I'm gonna blow my mind. Blow my mind. Our gaiety disappeared when we drove up to find our two friends in the middle of moving from one apartment to another. Chapter 41. The Family Grows. 
In winter 1992, Mary wanted to see her parents and extended family in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I signed up to attend the 1992 meeting of the Minnesota Veterinary Medical Association. The meeting was in early April, and Mary made airplane reservations. She called her old friend Chuck to see if we could stay at his and Barbie's place the night before our flight to Minneapolis. Chuck said that would be great, and as a matter of fact, he and Barbie were flying to Minneapolis too, the same day, on the same flight. Yep, all four of us booked the same plane, who would have guessed? Chuck said it would be great if we came up and spent the night, so we agreed. On the way to San Francisco, Mary needed to make a detour into Santa Cruz where Suzanne, her hairdresser from her Monterey singing days, was cutting hair. I was on vacation. I brought out a bottle of wine and sipped on it as Mary had her hair done. I was looking forward to this trip. The sun was out, the weather was beautiful, the windows were down, and it was a great day. When we left Santa Cruz, it was late afternoon, and we headed up to San Francisco to have dinner with Chuck and Barbie. Mary was driving because I preferred sipping wine. The fog came in as we drove into the city. We made our way through the winding, twisting streets of San Francisco and pulled up in front of Chuck's apartment. Now it was dark, and the moist fog swirled about me as I opened the door. Like everybody else in San Francisco, Chuck lived on a steeply sloping street. I reminded Mary to turn her wheels into the curb and pull the e-brake. We emerged from the car to find a large number of boxes on the sidewalk. Chuck was moving more boxes down the stairway in front of the apartment door. What are you doing? I asked him. We're moving, he replied. I thought we were going out to dinner. We will, once we're done moving, Chuck said. Mary and I had nothing to say. What could we say? It made me grumpy. We started bringing the goddamn boxes down the goddamn stairs and put them in the truck. The night was a typical night for San Francisco. The onshore winds brought in the moist fog. It swirled around us the entire evening and served to dampen my spirits further. Barbie came out and asked Chuck if he had told us previously about their move. I forgot, he said. Once we were done moving, it was three o'clock in the goddamn morning. Mary and I went to bed. We all got up the next morning and headed to the airport. Once we checked in and boarded the aircraft, I was glad they seated us in separate areas of the plane. I didn't want to be sitting next to my buddy Chuck, and I didn't talk or look at him during the entire flight. Most of the lectures I attended in Minneapolis had to do with small animals. I did go to a personal development program and remember I was asked to fill out a card. On the front, I was told to write in my name and address. On the other side, I was asked to write down what I wanted to be doing in five years. I thought a minute and then decided I wanted to become a well-known veterinarian specializing in ostrich medicine. I also attended a lecture describing coleobacilliosis infections in poultry. Bacteria called E. coli caused this disease. This was important to me because E. coli was the most common bacterium the lab isolated from the dead chick workups. Possibly I had a new cause for the fading chick problem. Summer of 1992 was unusual for me. Mary and I had not been successful in creating our own pregnancy, and this caused us to look into adopting a baby. Initially, we went through the local county program, but we came away with worries that most of these babies were from crack mothers. It takes a particular kind of person to take on a child with those needs. I didn't feel that I had the capacity. The programs that we went into prepared us for infants that may not mature past a certain point. This was unacceptable to me. I wanted my children to excel to the best of their abilities and did not have any interest in babysitting a crack baby that may never be able to pass first grade. One of my clients told us about a local couple 
which adopted a newborn son through an adoption agency based in Southern California. Mary contacted this agency, and we began the interview process. After some false starts and dead-end turns, we were put in touch with a pregnant mother who seemed sane and drug-free and wanted to adopt out rather than abort the fetus she was carrying. Adam was born on June 9, 1992. Mary and I had spent the night before in Pasadena with the soon-to-be godparents, Casey and Antonio. The next morning, Mary and I headed further south to Anaheim General Hospital. Anaheim General was a small hospital. As we entered the delivery area, there were many wailing sounds of agony emanating from the room. At the end of the Vietnam War, the Vietnamese who could do so fled the country. Many of them settled in the Garden Grove area, where Mel and I lived in our apartment. By the time Adam was delivered, the city was being called Little Saigon, and was continually being upgraded by the hard work and talent of these refugees. Anaheim General was the place where many of the Vietnamese pregnant women delivered their babies. There were either lots of deliveries going on, or possibly there was a cultural tendency to wail loudly during the delivery process. Adam's birth mom, Cece, was set to have a C-section, and Mary went to be with her during the surgery. Mary later told me that as the surgeon was sewing up the C-section, she could see Cece's body jerking from the pull of the sutures. I told her that the surgeon needs to make sure that the muscle layers are pulled tight against each other to encourage correct healing, and the strong pull each time a suture is thrown ensures that the apposition of the muscles will be tight. A hernia can develop if the closure is not tight enough. Adam was brought into the nursery. I first saw him in an incubator. I was outside the glass window of the nursery, and Mary had come out to point Adam out to me. It looks just like a baby, I thought, as I gazed at this thing, swaddled in cloth, with a cap on his head. Now I could see how babies could be mixed up in a nursery if they were not identified. To me, they looked pretty much the same. I went around the corner into the nursery area while the nurse was prepping Mary on feeding, diapering, and other things one does for a baby. Mary seemed completely comfortable with everything. That's good, I thought to myself. We have one person in this group who can take care of a baby. The very next Sunday was Father's Day. While the charcoals and the barbecue were heating up, I lied down on the grass and sat Adam up on my chest. We stood up, and I brought him over to my new meadow area, which was sown with seeds from my neighbor Bert's native plant nursery. The meadow was in full bloom and I had a few people bring their families over to be photographed amongst the flowers. When Mary first brought Adam to the Atascadero office, I scooped him up and ran across El Camino Real to show Adam off to my friends at the hardware store. Mary said that I carried him like a football as I ran across the street. The next spring, we bought a backpack device where we could place the boy on my back, and I would take him running with me as I ran through the hills behind the house. I had decided to expand my avian skills, and I signed up to attend the 1992 Annual Conference of the Association of Avian Veterinarians on Labor Day weekend. Mary, Adam, and I drove down to L.A., where we rented a hotel near LAX. If you spend a night at this hotel by the airport, you can leave your car parked there for up to a week, and the hotel shuttle drops you off at LAX when you call the front desk. That way, there are no airport parking fees and the family can enjoy a night of leisure without the usual worries of last-minute packing or moving a friend's household from one side of San Francisco to the other. Mary and I had attempted a similar stay-near-the-airport idea a few years previous. Mary had been asked to sing at a wedding in Stingboat Springs with the daughter of Ed and Mary V. 
We had arranged our tickets so that we would fly out of San Luis Obispo on a commuter jet into San Francisco, where we could transfer to a bigger plane to take us to Denver. It was in the fall after we had married. Mary had started working at a vineyard in San Luis Obispo in the business office. She called me one afternoon to let me know that one ton of Chenin Blanc grapes were available for me at no charge. The grapes had already been picked, but there was a problem connecting the grapes to the potential buyer. I had been making homemade wine since vet school and had continued the hobby when I moved to Paso. My Zinfandel took third place at the prestigious Mid-State Fair in 1984, although at the time the wineries were just beginning to show up en masse in our area. This meant that I had little professional competition. Nonetheless, I was encouraged to push out with my vintner skills. Because Chiquita had not yet wrecked my vet truck, I was still driving a vehicle with a vet pack on it, and there was no room to place a one-ton collection of grapes. Mary suggested that I call her friends Joe and Mary Kay. Joe and Mary Kay had settled in San Luis Obispo area to look for better work, and because Joe's brother was living here as well. Joe generously agreed to let me use his truck, which was an early 1960s Chevy pickup. When a person lifts up the hood on a modern rig, the hood is relatively flat. Joe's vehicle was an older model that had a hood that was formed into a half circle. It had no seat belts and a stick shift instead of an automatic transmission. It was also drafty and noisy, but this didn't matter because I needed a great transportation device and not a comfortable, leisurely ride. I collected and processed the grapes the weekend before we were to leave. The day before we were to fly away, I was finishing up calls in Paso. My friend Richard, whom I had gone to high school with, called the office. He had heard from Brother Mike that I was flying out to Colorado, and Richard wanted to see if we could meet up. I ran out to my truck to retrieve the tickets to let him know my itinerary, and we made tentative plans to meet up. I finished the day early, drove home, and finished packing. Mary and I would be spending the evening at the San Luis Hotel so that we were within 15 minutes of the airport. We had decided to drive Joe's truck because he could pick it up at the airport parking lot. Mary and I checked into the hotel, then dined and visited a few bars before heading back to the hotel. We decided to get to bed early. We wanted to be at the airport by 5.30 a.m. because the plane was to leave at 6 a.m. Lying in bed, I remarked to Mary what a smart idea this was. Our packing was done, and we could enjoy the evening stress-free. The front desk woke us up at 4.30 a.m. We quickly showered, and dressed and were at the terminal a bit past 5 a.m. I parked Joe's truck in short-term parking because he would pick up the vehicle in a few hours. Mary and I waited in line with our bags to check in. When it was our turn for registration, we placed our bags on the scale between the counters, and I went to get the tickets out of my wallet. There were no tickets. A feeling of panic began to arise within me as I frantically searched my shirt pocket, my pants pocket, and my jacket pockets. After we pulled our luggage back from the scale and went through the bags, I realized that I had left the tickets on the counter in my Paso office. As my chest was constricting and my breathing rate elevated, I blurted out to the counter attendant that I had left the plane tickets in Paso, which was about 30 minutes away. The attendant told me that they would try to hold the flight for us. Mary and I ran out of the terminal, leaving our bags with the attendant who told us they would load them onto the plane. Mary and I ran to Joe's truck and began in one of the most agonizing rides that I have ever been on. I quickly drove out of San Luis onto the 101 freeway and started the long climb over Cuesta Grade into the North County area. Mary and I had nothing to say to each other. Our eyes were focused forward, and my hands tightly gripped around the steering wheel. The truck slowly crept up the grade. 
Sounds were enhanced from the adrenaline that was coursing through me. The wind sounds from the drafty truck combined with the loud engine noises filled my head. With agonizing slowness, we made our way to the top of the grade. I drove another twenty minutes into the Paso office. I ran from the truck, unlocked the front door, and flipped the lights on in the office. The tickets were lying on the counter, just as I had left them when I was talking to Richard. I gathered them up, locked the office door, and we started our drive back to San Luis Obispo Airport in the same state of apprehension and anxiety that we had arrived in. When we reached the airport, I drove the truck right in front of the terminal and braked hard. Mary and I ran to the counter with the tickets. The flight had been held for us, but was about to take off. The engines had started on the plane. We needed to get to the tarmac right now. I ran back to the truck to move it back to short-term parking, but it would not start. Evidently, my hard braking had caused an electrical cable to pull free. I got out of the truck and lifted the semicircular hood. Mary ran out and yelled at me, What are you doing? We need to go right now. The truck won't start, I replied. Just leave it there, Mary exclaimed. I dropped the hood back down and rushed into the terminal. We ran down the stairway, onto the tarmac, and made our way onto the plane. I had left the truck in a no-parking zone directly in front of the terminal with the keys in the ignition. Mary called Joe when the commuter plane reached San Francisco to tell him where we had parked his truck. I suggested he bring a wrench with him to recreate lost electrical connections. Our current trip from Los Angeles to the Midwest was going very smoothly. I called the hotel to alert the shuttle that we would need a ride. Mary, Adam, and I were delivered to the LAX terminal. We needed to split up. I was heading to New Orleans for my conference, and Mary was taking Adam to visit her family in Minneapolis. On the second half of the trip, we would meet up in Centralia, Illinois, where my dad lived. End of chapter. A few years after Adam was born, Mary wrote this song for him.
Thank you for listening. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.